the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark from the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The Gospel reading is taken from the book of St. Mark. It's chapter 1, verses 9 through 15, and can be found on page 1552 in your pew Bible. Mark 1, verses 9 through 15. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And Jesus, as, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And at once... The Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. And after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Our lives are, are full of trials, aren't they? I mean, they really are. For example, the economy goes south and our life savings and investments can suddenly be decimated. Our children, they grow up and they start life on their own. And we wonder if, if they're going to make it. The people that we love, they get sick. And the people that we love get injured. And people that we love pass away. And we get sick. And we get injured. And we know that one day that we too, we will face death. Life is full of trials. I've heard somebody say, and I'm beginning to realize it myself a little bit, that uh, growing old is not for the faint of heart. Today's readings from the Bible, they really talk about trials. The epistle from James begins with, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. The Old Testament lesson this morning is the story of 
that incredible trial that God gave to Abraham and to his son Isaac. As we read or heard read to us, Abraham was to sacrifice his son. The gospel tells of the trial of Jesus when it said he withstood the tempter's full power for 40 days. Indeed, today's readings are full of trials. And we know that trials are as old as Eden. That God warned Eve in Genesis 2, 16, 17. He said this, You may surely eat of every tree. Every tree, he said. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. (laughs) And Adam and Eve, they ate. And we have been dying ever since. While we wait for death, our lives are full of trials. Now, even though we continuously bring trials into this world with our own sin, God is able, he really is able to transform these trials and experiences that prove our faith. Instead of destroying us, these trials become like the fire that purifies gold or silver or other precious metals. They are like the physical training that breaks down the muscle fibers so that it can grow back stronger. The author of the epistle to the Hebrews, he he put it this way in Hebrews 12. He said, it is for discipline that you have to endure. He says, God is treating you like sons. And for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? For a moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, there are two kinds of trials. There are direct attacks from the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature. Or there is another, a second type of trial, and these trials are trials that God uses to test or to strengthen our faith. Today's Old Testament lesson is an example of the kind of trial that builds up. Let's put ourselves in a moment for, um, well, let's put ourselves in, in Adam's shoes just for a little bit. 
Imagine that you have trusted God with your entire being. God has been gracious to you and given you a son, a miracle, a miracle child, really, a miracle child that has been given at the ripe old age of 100. Now imagine that God appears to you and he says this. He says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now God has asked you to give your miracle child back to him. Even the way God asks you, it reminds you of this child's place in your life. He says to you, your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. How many of you would, would pass that trial? Could you do it? Yet Abraham's obedience was immediate. Abraham rose immediately. In the morning, he saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. There was no second guessing. There was no questions. There were no delays. There was just obedience. How could Abraham do this? Now the author of the epistle to the Hebrews, he has the answer to this. It's Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. He said this, By faith. Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, this was God's promise, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, the key to Abraham's obedience is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's gift of faith. Faith in the resurrection of the dead that was his in God's promise of the Messiah. And it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through him could Abraham even consider such a sacrifice? And it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit could this trial make Abraham's faith even stronger. Now, on the other hand, the trial in our gospel is an example of temptation. A temptation that seduces us into sin. However, in this case, the devil attacked Jesus, 
He attacked him directly for 40 days. And we have a special promise from God. When we fall prey to such temptation, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write of this promise. And you'll remember it as soon as you hear it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has taken, has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, Paul writes, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God promised that even when the devil... Even when the world and our sinful nature tempt us to sin, he will not allow the temptation to overwhelm us. Instead, he limits the power of the temptation and he gives us a way to endure it and to eventually escape it. In spite of this, in spite of this, we still sin every day in this flesh. The exact opposite is true when we apply Paul's words to Jesus. Let me explain. Since Jesus' ability to resist temptation has no limit, God placed no limit on the devil's power. This means that Jesus endured the full extent of the devil's tempting ability. He endured everything that the devil could throw at him. In spite of this, Jesus never sinned, not once, not even a little bit. That is why the author to the Hebrews could say, Because Jesus himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And he could also say this in Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who is in every respect, he has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Jesus' temptation is one more way that Jesus shows us that he is our true substitute. He gets it. He's been there. He would tell you, I've been there, and I know, and I'm with you. I promise. Now, Jesus had to become our substitute. He had to become the propitiation so that he could clean up the mess that we made. He substitutes his perfection for our sin. He substitutes his innocence for our guilt and his virtue for our depravity. And he substitutes himself as the target of God's wrath so that we can be the target 
of God's unbelievable love. He suffered hell so that we can experience heaven. He takes all the bad stuff that is to our credit, the stuff that we brought upon ourselves, and he credits that icky stuff to himself. And at the same time, he takes all the good stuff that is to his credit, and he gives and credits it to us. Luther called that the glorious great exchange. The temptation that we heard about from today's gospel is not the devil's attack against Jesus. We know that even at the end, Satan continued. He continued the attack. Even as Jesus hung on the cross for you and for me, those who passed by derided him. They were wagging their fingers at him. They were mocking him and they were saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from that cross. And so also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, they should have known better. They mocked him, saying, he saved others, and he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down right now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusts in God, they said. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the thieves, the robbers, who were crucified with him, they also reviled him in the same way. Even as Jesus was dying on the cross for the sins of the entire world, the passers-by, the temple authorities, and even his fellow victims were the devil's agents. They all tempted him to give up the shame, to give up the pain and the death right up to the end. The devil tried to get Jesus to commit that one sin, that one sin that would cancel everything Jesus ever did. The devil never surrendered. But in the end, he was, he is totally defeated. Jesus never sinned. The most startling proof of this happened a few days after Jesus died on the cross. The tomb where he laid or where they laid his lifeless body was empty. He's not there. He had risen. And if he were guilty of even one sin, we'd be able to go 
and visit the remains of Jesus to this day. But we can't because he isn't in the grave. He is alive again. He has lived a perfect life. He had died a sacrificial death and risen to certify his perfect victory over sin, death, and the devil. He did it. The gospel for the beginning of Lent, of which we are in, teaches us that Christ is indeed holy. He is indeed righteous. And that he rejected all temptation. And at the end of Lent, we will remember that he became full of sin, but not his sin. He became full of our sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of the entire world filled him. And as we remember the cross, we will remember that our sin filled him as he suffered and died to pay the penalty that God's justice demanded. It's a payment, a payment that freed us from our slavery to sin. We will remember that God saw him as a sinner so that God can see us as righteous. And now that that righteousness is ours through the Holy Spirit's gift of faith, the faith that the Holy Spirit creates and supports through the preaching of Christ's message. As the one who conquered Satan, our Savior Jesus, he proclaims the gospel of God. You heard it today. His words were this, and they are timeless. They are true today. Hear him when he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In the name of Jesus, amen.